This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. much for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good father. We thank you that you loved us enough to give us your only son. Thank you, Lord, that you never gave us your second best, but you gave us the best that you have. And you're not changing your mind today, but Lord, you continue to give us your best. Thank you for not leaving us as orphans in the world, but by giving us your spirit. Lord, we are not alone in this world. So I thank you so much, Lord, for this the people, Lord, for this corporate church, for this body of believers, Lord, that you would just put your hand of blessing upon it like never before. And Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing here in Moira. We just declare out the blessing of God over Moira. We declare the blessing of God over Northern Ireland. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're even healing many wounds that still people have in their hearts and minds over all the things and the tragedies that happened in this land. We just thank you, God, for your spirit moving in a fresh new way over this land, over this city, and in our lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen. If you got your Bibles with you, we're going to continue on talking about legacy tonight. Everybody say legacy. See, God has a legacy for not not only the legacies we received, you know, I'm so privileged that I got to go with my grandfather to 30 different nations. And and people wonder, why was Dr. Summerall so motivated to go all over the world? Well, I almost have to just stop and tell you some of his story. Some people don't know, so I got to tell them. I've heard it so many times, I think everybody knows, but nobody, not many people, especially younger people, never heard it. But my grandfather, he was a, his, his dad was a, a sinner and a steel worker, actually making ships down in the Gulf of Mexico. So they, they lived in Pascagoula, Mississippi. They lived in Mobile, Alabama. Then they moved to Panama City, Florida, because he was a shipbuilder and actually had a horrible accident. One time he struck a piece of steel and hot, hot steel went into his eye and burned out his, his father's eye. So, he, you know, only he could see out of one eye. But he, he w- wasn't interested in God, wasn't interested in serving God. And my great-grandmother, Betty Sumrall, she was an intercessor. She loved to pray and seek God. And she was a what they called a shouting Methodist. And so she had some pretty amazing encounters with God. She'd go down and back then they would, they would go and tarry, they called it. They'd come up and wait for the presence of the Lord to come. And, and she'd wait to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it never happened. And so one day she's down in the town and she's walking up to the bank and the Holy Spirit says to her, God speaks to her heart and says, do you want to receive the baptism right now? She says, Lord, here right now? Says, yes, right here. So she began to speak in other tongues and she couldn't talk English for about three days. And so it was kind of a funny story. Somebody asked her, well, how do you get to the bank? And she said, Kodabashika, Marabashamba, Rabashikaya. You know, kind of giving them hand directions, speaking in another language. But uh, she, she was a fiery woman of God. And it was really through her prayers that my grandfather was brought home because he was a rebellious teenager. He was involved with a, a, almost like a, a street gang, not, not similar to what today's gangs are like, but just like tr- troublemakers, so to speak. And uh, he said he can remember many nights he came home and his mother was praying for him. And he'd be like, get up. I don't want you praying for me. And even today we talked about the prodigals. God is going to save your household. I believe that God has household salvation for our families. Amen. 
And so <clears throat> she prayed for him, but then he, he one day started coughing up blood and he had contracted tuberculosis. And, you know, back in 1930, they didn't have a cure for that. So he began to just lose weight and, and even, you know, parts of his lung were coming out and things and just a horrible, horrible experience that he was going through. And he, he got down to weighing about 70 pounds. And there one night the doctor came to get his pulse and he couldn't even get a pulse. And so he walked my great grandparents over in the corner and told them, he said, you know, your son's going to die here in a few hours. And in order to, to bury him, you're going to need a, a grave plot and a, and a death certificate. So I'm going to go ahead and sign the death certificate tonight. And that way you don't have to come bother me tomorrow. And so he gave him a signed death certificate. And that night, my grandfather had an encounter with God. Thank God that come, God comes and encounters us right where we are. Amen. And so as he was laying there in his bed, he had a vision of a Bible the size of the wall. And, and then he said there was a casket that was just his size that came up right next to his bed. And he said, I was between a rock and a hard place. I didn't want to preach and I didn't want to die. And so as he was laying there, God began to speak to him about preaching his word and about sharing the gospel all over the world. And he, and he, he started to repent of his sins and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And that night, God supernaturally healed my grandfather. And I used to love to hear him say, most doctors know about how long you're going to live, but that doctor missed it slightly. He said he's, he's been dead himself for two or 300,000 hours. It doesn't matter what, what man says about you, but it matters what God says about you. Praise God. And so God supernaturally healed his body, and then he started traveling around and preaching all over the southern part of the United States. He was there in Panama City, Florida. He traveled up into northern Florida, then into the state of Georgia, if you know where that's at. And they were traveling around preaching in little schoolhouses. And you know, it's so funny to hear him tell all those stories, which I heard so many times. But but uh, he, he found some old farmer, and he was out there with this farmer, and he was trying to get into this schoolhouse. And he told the farmer, he says, who, who has the keys to that old, farm, uh, that old schoolhouse? He says, well, I do. He says, well, if you don't give me the keys, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be able to preach and I'm going to die and it's going to be your fault. <laughs> and so the man gave him the keys, you know, a little pressure there maybe, but he gave him the keys and they started cleaning up this little schoolhouse out in the, in the field and, and they started to minister to people there. So he, he didn't, he wasn't a formal preacher. He didn't go to theology school. You know, the Bible says that, that, that there were some who were schooled in the school of the prophets, but John the Baptist went to the wilderness. So my grandfather would probably be more on the wilderness side of things than the school of the prophets. But he basically went out there and he just started telling his testimony. And uh, he wasn't too proper. He wasn't too uh, polished, if you if you would say that. He'd say, if you, want, if you want to accept, he'd tell his story. And then he'd say, if you want to accept Jesus, come on up here. If you want to go to hell, go out the back door. You know, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't exactly too uh, nice to people. But he just was sharing, sharing what he knew how to share, you know. So... Uh, the next night he said that there was uh, triple the amount of people there the first night. And he said, well, where'd all these people come from? He says, we heard the biggest liar that's ever been through these parts was out here. And we wanted to come hear some of his stories, you know? And uh, then he said the first offering they took up was 26 cents. And he said there wasn't one nickel. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't a five cent piece, you know? And so he said, how many of your farmers? And they all raised their hand. He says, well, tomorrow night there's going to be a pen on one side for chickens and a pen on the other side for, for hogs. And he says, bring your chicken and pig offerings to the Lord, you know. So last night he said the, the hens were cackling and the, 
the hogs were squealing for the supreme sacrifice they were about to make. <laughs> but he had, you know, the Lord provided for him through that. Because this is right, you know, 1930, this is right after the crash of 29. And the American economy was, was uh, in, in dire straits. And then also the... Um, the Dust Bowl during that time in the South where there just was, uh, you know, huge unemployment and poverty. And, but God made a way. How many knows God can make a way even when there seems to be no way? So as he was traveling around in these schoolhouses, he ended up planting several churches. But then he ended up in a place called Dyersburg, Tennessee. And it would have been on, I believe, December 17th and 18th of 1931, where he was there and he went to a service in this little schoolhouse with a dirt floor and he had on a white suit and he's there to preach. And during worship, he just went into, I believe what the Bible calls a trance. He had a, an encounter with God where he just kind of left the, the awareness of what was around him. And he saw this vision and the vision was the nations of the world. It was, it was people dressed in their ethnic garments from their countries. It was the Filipinos and it was the Chinese and it was all the different African groups and the South Americans. And as he saw all the different ethnic groups dressed up in their ethnic garments, he said, God, what is this you're showing me? He says, this is the road of life and everyone must travel on it. And he said, there was a group of people that went and exited off to the right. And I said, if it was here, it'd be exiting off to the left, you know? And uh, it just was so interesting. He saw these people exiting off and he said, who are those? And he said, those are the ones who've been declared righteous because they've received the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And then he said, all of a sudden the road came to what he described as a great precipice or a great cliff or edge. And as the life came to the edge of life, people began to fall off the edge of life into hell and they were screaming and they're crying out and they were pulling on their flesh and their hair, pulling their hair out. He said it was the most horrific scene he'd ever seen. They were cursing God. You know, they weren't cur cursing Buddha or Muhammad. They were cursing God, you know? And so as they're falling off the edge of life, they're literally uh, screaming, crying out. And he says, God, why are you showing me this? This is so horrible. He says, because this is your fault. And he took him to Ezekiel chapter three, verse 18 and 19. It says, if you don't warn the wicked of their wicked ways and they die in their wickedness, I will require their blood at your hands. And he saw blood on his hands. And he said, God, get this blood off my hands. Get this blood off my hands. He says, I can't. You've got to go to the nations and tell people the good news of Jesus and warn them. And so you want to talk about a good motivator to become a missionary. That sounded like a good motivation, didn't it? And so it was from that time that he went out and he started to preach all across America. But what's so amazing is he was preaching in a town called Shawnee, Oklahoma, and he had a meeting there with a pastor. And, you know, you can imagine you're a pastor here that you'd say, well, hey, I'm going to come for a week. Let's, you know, advertise and get it all prepared for a week. And then I come and I do two services. And then I say, well, the Lord's told me to go over to England and do something else over there. You'd say, well, mate, you know, you, you just stood us up. And so my grandfather was out praying one morning. And God says, I want you to leave here and go to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. So he goes to the pastor and he tells him, I feel like I'm supposed to move on. And he says, well, I'm going to blackball you. You're not going to be able to preach in this area. I'm going to tell everyone what a, what a awful person you are. He said, you don't hear God. And, you know, it just was very discouraging. My grandfather was a young man. He was crying. He was upset. But yet the Lord... Um, 
spoke to him to go to Eureka Springs. I'm so glad that he obeyed God because he would have missed a major part of his destiny had he not obeyed God in that moment. It's so important for us as the people of God to hear the voice of God. That is just so important for our lives. And the good news is what he said, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they will not follow. So you and I don't have to be afraid of hearing the wrong voices. There's a lot of voices in the world, but you know what? We can hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so basically he gets to Eureka Springs and he sees a man in front of this church and he walks up to him and just by the spirit of God, out of his spirit, he says, I'll go with you over the highest mountain. And then his brain says, no, I won't. Why am I saying that? Then he says, I'll go with you through the lowest valley. Why am I saying that? And he's literally, you know, like a conflict between his mind and his spirit. But this man was a man named Howard Carter, who was the general superintendent of the the, uh, Assemblies of God of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And so my grandfather met him. He was probably in his 40s. My grandfather was in his 20s. And they decided that they were going to travel around the world. Well, what had happened is the same night that my grandfather had the encounter with God in Dyersburg, Tennessee, crossed the country from where he is now, Brother Howard Carter was in London. He had a, the first Pentecostal Bible school in London called the Hampstead Bible College. And it was there that God spoke to Howard Carter and says, I'm going to send you around the world to teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to send a traveling companion who's going to come and meet you. And when he comes, he'll say to you, I'll go with you over the highest mountain. I'll go with you through the lowest valley. I'll go with you uh, to preach the good news of God's love. And he had it written in his journal. And so, I mean, these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's the operation of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. And so, I mean, just amazing things happened on that journey. So they supernaturally connected. And um, what was so interesting is my, my grandfather had to take his sister back to Florida. And then he had a little sister who would travel with him and sing for him. Her name was Leona. And then the, he went back out to California. So when he got to California... Every place that he would go, they'd say, well, Howard Carter said you'd be coming. We're supposed to let you speak and take up an offering for you. And then he said, well, where's Howard going? Well, he's going to Japan. And he said, wow, that's, well, that's interesting. He didn't tell me he was going to Japan. How am I supposed to find this guy? So he goes to the next town. They said, Howard Carter said you'd be coming. You, you know, we're supposed to let you preach, take up an offering for you. Well, where's Howard Carter going? Well, he's going to China. And they go to the next places. Where's Howard Carter going? Well, he's going to India. He's like, well, how is he supposed to find Howard Carter? Lord, if you want us to connect, obviously this isn't exactly the most ideal situation. They didn't have, you know, they couldn't text each other, or, uh, send an email, say, hey, by the way, meet me over here. And so <clears throat> basically my grandfather then stayed with a, a woman by the name of Carrie Judd Montgomery. And she had more or less a spiritual bed and breakfast, like a furlough house for missionaries there in Oakland, California. And the Lord supernaturally blessed my grandfather. You may have heard his story before, but he left America with $12 and a one-way ticket. I mean, I don't even want to go to Tesco without 12 pounds, you know what I mean? And it's like here, here he literally leaves the country with a one-way ticket, trusting God to provide for him. Well, I'd known about it, but I hadn't really maybe gotten into the details, but that $12 came because Carrie Judd Montgomery said the Lord told her to bless him with one day of the proceeds of the bed and breakfast. And so it was so neat for the first time, I actually went to 
Bill Johnson's church in Redding, California. So I flew in and out of Oakland and that place is still opened. And when I was there last November, I was actually able to find, they found the actual log books that my grandfather signed into the hotel in November of 1934. And they showed me those. I was able to, you know, look at them, film them. But you know who else stayed there? Smith Wigglesworth. You know who else stayed there? Howard Carter. Who else stayed there was, uh, Marie Woodworth Etter, another amazing revivalist from the 1800s. And then you had people like Amy Simple McPherson, who was a part of starting the Foursquare. Then you had William Booth, who was uh, an interesting connection because this lady, not only did she have friends that were in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, but she also had evangelical friends like William Booth and A.B. Simpson, who founded the Christian Missionary Alliance. But all these men and women of God came through this place. And it was just amazing to me how the Spirit of God moved through this lady, Carrie Judd Montgomery. But my grandfather had passed through there on his way to go on his mission. So what happened was Howard Carter was planning to go to Japan, China, and India. But when he got to Hawaii, unbeknownst to anybody in America, he had gotten a telegram that he was supposed to come to New Zealand to minister at a, at a pastor's conference. So here he is up in the mountains of New Zealand, and God wakes him up in the night and tells him, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, Lester Summerall is going to come to Wellington. You need to send the pastor from Wellington home to meet Lester Summerall. So here's my grandfather, a young guy from Florida, has never traveled outside the United States. He gets off the boat. He's walking through town, and it's so funny to hear him tell these stories, but he'd say, he walked up to somebody, he said, do you know where the Assemblies of God Church is? And he said, the guy said, the sinners of God. I don't know where the sinners of God is. He said, I didn't say sinners of God. I said assemblies of God. He says, well, is there a place where people say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He says, up there on the hill, those people up there. Do it. So he gets up to the door and he knocks on the door and here a man comes out and here he is a complete stranger from a foreign country. And he says, hello, brother. Uh, you don't know me, but my name is, and he says, your name's Lester Sumrall. Howard Carter said you'd be coming. And so when he got there, he had kind of a fear of this guy, Howard Carter, because this guy really heard from God in a, in a supernatural way. But then they traveled all through China, Australia, then they went into Hong Kong, up into Tibet, then back through Hong Kong, up into Korea and Japan. Then they took the Trans-Siberian Expressway under Stalin's rule across Russia. And then, as I mentioned this morning, they were in Germany while Hitler was having the 36, 1936 Olympics there in Berlin. Then he was up in Sweden, and then he, Norway, and then also back to, back to England. And when they we came to England, uh, I guess it didn't really make a lot of sense to me back in that time, but obviously before the internet, before uh, a lot of films had even come out, obviously before television, they, they published a, a magazine called Redemption Tidings. And in Redemption Tidings, they were sending telegrams back from Asia Howard Carter was, and because of his position in the Assemblies of God, they were publishing these stories in Redemption Tidings. So all the churches had been reading about it. So in some ways, they were kind of like folk heroes, you know, hearing about all the things that God was doing on the mission field. So they had kind of some renown when they showed up uh, after years of being on the mission field. People had already read their stories. And so my grandfather compiled those into a book called Adventuring with Christ, which was published by Marshall Morgan and Scott down in London. And it was just so interesting. On this trip, I was finally able to jump through enough hoops to get uh, the British Library to give me access. And I found the copy of my grandfather's book in the British Library. And so it was kind of neat to know that they've got the Gutenberg Bible and they've got the Codex Alexandricus and they've got the Sin Codex Sinaiticus, all these original Bibles. But they've also got a book by Lester Sumrall in the British Library.
And so it was through those experiences that my grandfather's life was marked. And, and then I just was saying how he got such a heart for the nations is because of his experience with all these people. You know, some of the other people that he knew, you may have heard of the Elam denomination here in, in Great Britain. And uh, he was friends with George Jeffries. And so it was just kind of neat because he was in his 20s and these people were in their 80s and he was just kind of passing them, you know, like two spheres crossing each other. He literally just crossed over in that time. And he wrote an amazing book. If you uh, check it out, it's called Pioneers of Faith. But it talks about his relationship with all these men and women of God who've gone before. And as we talk about the concept of legacy, I believe that we will leave a spiritual legacy for our children. Children, but these are part of the legacies that you and I can tap into. And I feel like it's something specific for this nation because you've got people like Charles and John Wesley. Pastor earlier was just sharing about how John Wesley came and preached in Moira. We're talking history here, folks. This is a part of your history, your DNA, not some other place here. And so, I mean, thank God for John Wesley. Otherwise, my great grandmother wouldn't have been a shouting Methodist. <laughs> There's a connection. If you look back through history, it's interesting to see how John Wesley's life touched others and then how William Booth was connected with the Methodists and then went on and became connected to different groups. And then even Smith Wigglesworth's wife was connected with Salvation Army. And it's like all these people are connected to our history. And, and I believe that there's something that God has for us in understanding the history because God is no respecter of persons. Not only is he not prejudiced against somebody who's white or black or comes from another religion, he's not prejudiced against different generations. If God did it for previous generations, I believe he'll do it for our generation. And he wants to show himself strong and faithful in every generation. But you know what? It comes sometimes in a different package. Um, it's so interesting to look at how it's through, you know, of course, we're going to lay hands on you and believe God to touch you tonight. And there is a biblical uh, precedence for transference of anointings through the laying on of hands. But one of the biggest ways that transferring of anointing happens is through serving. You look at whether it was Moses and Joshua or whether it was Elijah and Elisha or whether it was Paul and Timothy, or it was David and Solomon, or Jesus and the disciples. You have a biblical foundation about how things are passed forward to the next generation through serving. And so the thing that sometimes messes with our, our mind is the fact that God does things in a different way in a new generation. Now here, the anointing was on Moses to lead people out. So can you imagine if Joshua stood on the banks of the Red Sea and said, let's go in, you know? It's like, well, gee, that doesn't seem right. We're, we're going out, you know? But Moses was anointed to lead the people out of Egypt. But Joshua stood on the banks of the Jordan River and he said, let's go into the promised land. You see what I mean? And so it looked different in a new generation. Look at Zacharias and Zachariah and John the Baptist. Every father wants their child to be a chip off the old block and to be like dad, don't they? I know that's how I am. But the thing is, is that here, Zachariah was a priest who burned the, the candles and, and, and went into the, to the holy place and did different uh, ceremonial things that God had laid out in the, in the law. But here John the Baptist is screaming and yelling in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it didn't look too priestly, but yet he was under a priestly anointing. Are you with me? But it looked different. 
And so God uses different ways and methods. See, the message doesn't change, but the methods might change. And I know sometimes, how many know that uh, we don't have any traditions. We want to look at the Catholics or the high, high Anglicans or whoever and say, well, they're just full of tradition and rituals, and we don't have any traditions, do we? We don't have three fast songs, two slow songs, an offering, a sermon, and a prayer line. We don't do that, do we? We have our own traditions, don't we? But yet sometimes, now is it wrong to have that kind of a setup or structure for our services? Absolutely not. But we want to be led by the Holy Spirit in what God wants to do next. When you look at these methods, it's so interesting to me, you know, how even growing up in church, we, we see God move because we sang, Oh, the blood of Jesus, which is an amazing song. But yet next week, hey, let's sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus again, because, you know, God's going to move the same way he did last week. And that might work for a while, but God wants us to be what? Led by his spirit. And it might look different the next time. And so we have to be Real, be, being part of being sons and daughters is being led by the Spirit of God. And so it's just so interesting when you think about Moses. Remember the story of Moses in the wilderness? That literally the, the Jews were complaining and they were griping about things and the Lord allowed serpents to come and bite them. And they were dying in the wilderness. And Jesus makes reference to this story in John 3, I believe. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the, the brazen serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. Talking about the cross, how Jesus became sin for us. He became the curse for us. And so um, what, what just, I'd preached for years and never realized it, but the Bible talks about how in the temple, here God would use the method of the brazen serpent to heal the Jews, but years later, they had began to worship the brazen serpent, and they called it Nahushtan. And all of a sudden, the Lord just hit me with the fact that we can sometimes worship the method that God uses instead of worshiping God. Even inside my grandfather's ministry and, and what I've grown up in, I've seen how sometimes we can actually glorify the ministry more than we glorify God. And God wants us to worship him. He wants all generations to worship him. So no matter what methods change, guess what? God doesn't change. Isn't that good news? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he wants to minister to a new generation in a new way. He wants us to pass forward the legacy to our children to, to, to reach out for what God has next. And I believe he will reveal it by his spirit on what he has next for us. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to, um, see, where should we start? Galatians chapter 4. We're on this topic of legacy that we've been made sons and daughters of God. And as sons and daughters of God, we're also made heirs. And you know what? When you're an heir, you get an inheritance. Isn't that good news? Wouldn't you be so glad if you got a call today and said, you've been adopted into uh, Queen Elizabeth's family, and now you're going to inherit the throne. You're going to inherit some money, a lot more money than what you've ever seen before in your life. But you know what? That would be a nice call to get, but I got a better message for you tonight. You're an heir of God. You're an heir of the kingdom of God, much bigger than the throne of England, the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter four, let's start there. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. Isn't that amazing? Verse two, 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. I believe that God is releasing. There's a divine timing that's happening in many people's lives right now as we prepare to get launched into what God has for us. There's a set time that God has that he opens things up in our lives. Verse 3, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, but that he might receive, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which that word means father in Hebrew. So it's saying, Father, Father, crying out, just like your little child does when it's there going, Daddy, pick me up. We're crying out to the Father. Isn't that a powerful word? He says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As we're talking about the concept of legacy, if we're talking about not only the legacies received, but the legacies that we will leave behind, there's no greater legacy than what God can leave through your life. When I look at my grandfather's life, I, I'm inspired because he was one man who chose to obey God and his life touched so many people's lives. And, and even, I don't know if uh, you remember that I was making a documentary film about my grandfather's life. And the reason that I'm making that film is because I want to inspire people to know that God has a purpose for their life and he can use them in a special way and their life can make a difference as well if they'll just obey God. And just, we're going to take a little short intermission here in my, my message. Johnny is going to uh, pull up the Fearless Faith trailer. I just want to show it to you one more time, and then uh, we're going to continue on with the message here. But I figure we might as well just throw this one in there for you. destiny is possibly the most amazing feature of human existence. Why is man cast into a certain mold? And why does he do certain things, certain ways? What makes a man 
act like he does. Why does a man run fast? It's very easy to not understand the man that you see in action. It's very easy for you to not be able to comprehend why certain people do certain things. And for that reason, I'm very glad to relate to you some of the divine castings of my life, which I feel that God himself preordained and made. Praise the Lord. You know, I believe that one of the things that God's made me is that I'm called to be a translator, to take some of those things that, that God had passed on to me through my grandfather and now bring them to the younger generation through media. Because just as if I'm standing here speaking to someone who speaks Chinese and I don't know Chinese and they don't know English, we need an interpreter. There's a lot of the younger generation that they don't talk books. They speak media. They speak films and, and, and music videos and YouTube or whatever, you know? So it's like God wants to reach out to a new generation through media. So that's part of, part of what I've been working on. But we're talking, continuing to talk about sonship. Look with me over to um, Acts cha or Psalms chapter 2. Psalms 2. We're talking about legacy. We're talking about our inheritance. We're talking about being sons and heirs. Well, what are we heirs to? As we read this morning, we're heirs to the whole world. It's literally God going here. The sky's the limit. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to come on this adventure of faith with me? Psalms chapter 2. What is our inheritance? Psalms chapter 2, reading from verse 8, it says, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations to you as an inheritance. Thank God that this church has a, a vision and a heart for missions, but a lot of churches don't. They don't see beyond their own, their own personal needs and their own self. But the thing is, God wants us to touch nations. Obviously, my grandfather had a motivation where God showed him this vision of touching the nations and how it was his responsibility to step up. But, you know, God has called us to realize that's the inheritance that God has for us. He says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance and the very ends of the earth or the peoples as a possession. And God wants us to know this is really the inheritance of Jesus, that we this is also what just boggles my mind. In Jewish culture, the only one who inherited was the firstborn son, and that we're in Christ. And so because we're in Christ, we inherit. It's, the blessing comes on him, and because we're in Christ, we get a part of the inheritance. And so the nations is our inheritance. Look back with me to Matthew. You know, obviously, we could talk about high spiritual things, and that's real nice, but how does it apply to your daily life? God has given you a sphere of influence that I don't have, and he's given me a sphere of influence that you don't have. So if you don't do your job and I don't do my job, there's going to be people that are missed. There's people that you know that I'll never meet. There's people that I know that you'll never meet. So God has this strategically placed in the families that we're in, in the jobs that we're in, in the relationships and friendships that we're in, and you have 
uh, an important role because you are a person of influence. I want you to say that with me. Say, I am a person of influence. And that's where God wants you to know. He, you are a son and a daughter of God, but you have influence in the sphere that he's put you in. Look with me over to, as I said, Matthew. We're going to read there at the end, Matthew chapter 28. I got a new Bible, and sometimes they're not on the same page as the other sides of my old Bible. I've had, I had the same Bible recovered about four times, and I decided it was time for something new. But here we have the Great Commission. Now recognize, it's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. We've been commissioned by God to receive our inheritance, and that is to go to the nations, to share the gospel with people, the good news of the gospel. I'm so blessed that the last photograph I got with my grandfather was at our ministry headquarters next to a world map, and above it says, untold billions yet untold. And that's, that's part of his legacy and the baton that's been passed into my life and several other people's lives. But it's to continue to go forward sharing the good news with the nations. Matthew chapter 28, reading from verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountains <clears throat> which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. How many know there's still some doubtful ones around the church? But Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And isn't that good to know that the devil doesn't have any authority? All authority. Everybody say all authority. Not some authority, all authority. Then he says, go therefore. Why can we go? Because he's got all the authority and he's given it to us. Such a good thing. Go therefore and make disciples. Notice he doesn't say make converts. We got people who want to just lead people through a prayer and, and, and try to make converts to the Christian religion, but that's not what this thing about the kingdom of God is about. It's about heart transformation. It is through relationships that you're going to see people want to come to God. When we want to just lead people in conversion, it usually means that we're not living out our faith right. That's a good word. Come on, say amen in this house, right? Is it that we, we want to get people to jump through the hoops because we're not living it out in front of them. When we live out our faith in front of them, the joy of the Lord is flowing out of our life. The peace of God is flowing in our life. They want what we have. If we, don't, if, we, if we don't have anything to offer them except for some bait to try to draw them into a service somewhere and try to get their name on a card, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about relationships, and it's through relationships. It's people that we reach out to, we love on, we, we speak into their lives. I believe that God will let the gifts of the Holy Spirit through, flow through each and every one of you to speak a word of encouragement or a word of blessing into your neighbor's life or people that he's put in your sphere of influence. He says there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, that's the thing. We're given these nations as an inheritance, but we've got to go. Remember he told Israel, this is the land I'm giving you to possess. 
I've given it to you, but you still got to go and possess it. Every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, I've given you that land to possess. So God has given us the nations, but he's still calling us to go and minister to the nations. Now, some of you may not feel called to be a missionary, so you know what? You can give of your life, of your time, by giving your money to people like Claire and others who are out there sacrificing to do the mission. And I believe that you will receive a part of the reward from all the lives that are touched. Now, you can go out there and go on a short-term mission trip, but some people just don't feel called to that. And you know what? God bless you. God, God will bless you for that. But you've got to engage your heart in reaching out to the world. He wants you to be a part of what's happening in the nations. And so I think we lost the camera. We got a camera down over here, folks. He wants you to, to realize that you can take part. Look with me to Mark 16. Mark chapter 16. Here we have another account of what Jesus is saying here when he commissions disciples. And after he appeared, verse 14, Mark 16, 14, after he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table, he approached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation or to every creature. Preach the gospel. And he who has believed and has been baptized will be saved. And he who has not believed or disbelieved will be condemned. I know the old King James says damned. It's not too, too nice there. Verse 17, it says, and these signs will accompany those who are ordained under a certain denomination. That's not what it says. It says these signs will follow those who believe. If you call yourself a believer and you're a person who has, as it says in Romans, believed with your heart and confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and that God believed in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you are a believer. That this thing is not just called to be the pastor ministry, it's called to be the believer's ministry. And that's where God can use you far beyond the walls of this building. This is a great building. We love this church. But you're the church, not the building. The, you know, we've come in Western culture to think, oh, look at that beautiful church. That's a building. We're the church. We're the body of believers that's a living, breathing, organic life of God reaching out to touch people. And that's what he's called us to do. These signs will follow those who believe. And what does he say? In my name, they will cast out demons. You know, I could tell you a lot of stories about my grandfather's ministry, but even the deliverance there in the Philippines, that sparked a national revival because one girl got set free from demonic power. She was in a prison cell being bitten on her neck and on her body by demon forces. One, one day the prison guard actually held her hand and said, you're crazy, stop this stuff. And she got a bite mark underneath his hand as he's put his hand on top of her hand. So he couldn't figure that one out because obviously it was demonic activity. She was walking up and down a wall, talking in multiple languages and walking up the wall like a cat. And these demons were in operation in her life. But God told my grandfather, this is what I brought you here for. How many know that when we trust God, sometimes it's not an easy road? The denomination that he was with didn't want anything to do with it. God told him to go there. 
They said, sorry, we don't want anything to do with it until revival broke out and they had a 2,500 seat church and then the denomination wanted them to sign the headquarters over to them, sign the property over to them. But he was there in the city and he was discouraged. He almost was gonna quit. You know, just, just a word of wisdom to you married men. Don't speak negative things to your wife. Speak your vision to your wife because your wife is going to repeat what you told her. So if you say negative things, she's going to bring that back up to you. But if you speak the vision, she's going to bring the vision back up to you. Can I, is that a good word or what for all the married men in the house? So my grandfather had spoke the vision to my grandmother. So when he got discouraged and he wanted to quit, she said, but I thought God said you're supposed to come here. I thought the Lord told you that we were supposed to be here for a reason. And it was right after that, that this whole thing happened with this girl getting delivered and literally hundreds of thousands of people got ministered to because of the deliverance of this girl. See, when we function in the signs and wonders that God's called us to function in, there's going to be fruit for the kingdom of God. And is my grandfather some special person that nobody can ever attain to what he did? No, he was just a simple person who obeyed the voice of God. And you and I, we can obey the voice of God in whatever God put situation God's put us in. So he goes on to talk about here, to cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. God has given us an anointing. See, God doesn't ask us to heal the sick. That's not our job. It's God's job to heal the sick. It's our job to lay hands on the sick, to pray for them. Because you have an anointing on your life. Look with me back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And then we're just going to spend some time in the presence of the Lord and spend some time praying here tonight. Just see what God will do. Are you excited about what God wants to do in your life? Mark, or excuse me, Luke 4. We're talking about touching the nations. We're talking about doing the Great Commission. We're talking about touching the world. You know, the Bible says in Joel, he says, Then in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I'm going to move upon the young people. I believe there's going to be a move of God in Moira that will touch young people. How can we be a part of that? How can we be a place that blesses that and says, yes, Lord. Maybe it will be out in open fields like it was for John Wesley. Who knows? There's so many young people. They might not all fit in this room. we got to be open to say, God, whatever it looks like, we want to see people's lives touched for your glory. Amen? Look what he says in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it is written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. See, it's not just people that are poor physically. There's a lot of rich people around here that are poor spiritually. There's, there's down and outers, and there's also up and outers. And there's a lot of people in between. But God wants us to know that he wants us to love on all of them. Amen? He, was, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. There's a lot of people that are bound in their minds, people that are bound by fear, people that are bound by rejection. He's given you an anointing to set them free. 
And you know, here's the thing. We got to get out of this thing of super spirituality. There, the, sometimes the church talks a strange language to people. Brother, I got a word for you and I just want to prophesy to you. Thus saith the Lord. It might not come out in that kind of language as you're ministering to someone who's never been to church before. It might be the Lord puts a word in your heart and you just speak to them and say, you know, God loves you. He cares about you. He has a purpose for your life. It's talking to them right to their heart, right into where they live. Because that's where God wants to minister to people, doesn't he? Look what he goes on to say. The recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of Jubilee or the favorable year of the Lord. Have you read about the year of Jubilee? It's a time of debt forgiveness. It's a time of being having an inheritance restored that they had to literally, as I was reading in the Hebrew, some of the notes in, in some of the commentaries from the Hebrew scholars, it said that people had to recognize that there's a supreme owner of the land, that God literally brought the inheritance back to the original families that it belonged to. I believe that God is restoring things in your family that the enemy has tried to steal and take, whether that's spiritual inheritance or even natural inheritances. Unfortunately, we all have relatives that sometimes aren't too spiritual, and they decided, oh, you know, I think we'll just take everyone's inheritance and take it for ourselves. Has anybody ever come across that? It happens all the time. But I believe that God can restore inheritances, amen? And I believe he's doing it even in my own family. So it's, it's a powerful thing to realize that, that our inheritance is the nations, and Jesus has commissioned us to go to the nations, and that he's given us his spirit to go and do it. What a great thing. You, sometimes we're waiting for a word from God. Well, guess what? He already gave you a word. It's right here. I just read it to you tonight. Well, Lord, speak to me if I'm supposed to go to the nations. He's already commissioned you. He wants you to go. He, but he wants you to go to the sphere he's called you to. Maybe it's ministering to someone at Tesco, walking up to talking to somebody. I know that may be improper in your culture or whatever, but God can lead you to get past some of those barriers because there's people that are in need, people that are in desperation, people that are struggling and that, that need help and they need the love of God. And you and I are called to be the ones that share it with them. Amen? So God wants you to pass on that legacy of evangelism, to pass on that legacy of loving people, of loving this city. And also part of loving this city isn't just preaching, it's serving. How can we as the church serve this community? Are there people, are there people coming out of pubs that are drunk that might need a ride home or that might need uh, some kind of a card or some kind of assistance so they don't get killed in an automobile accident because they're drunk? I mean, I know that sounds pretty far out there, but how do we, you know, Jesus, he was a friend of sinners, how do we as the church reach out and serve those in the community? Because then one day when they wake up, who helped me? All those people down there from, from the church down in the corner, they helped me. I know my wife, when she was with YWAM, they would come out and, and even give hot cocoa to prostitutes down in Manchester just to reach out and share the love of Jesus. They didn't necessarily preach to them, but, but God's love is what's going to transform someone's life. It's sharing the love of God that's going to touch people's life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.